0: Father, as we look at your passage today, we look at your word, and your word is truth, and you tell us that your word is living and active. Praise you for that, God. Praise you that in eternity past, you looked forward and knew that this day we would be here, and we would be looking at this passage, and you have a truth to speak into each of our lives today, God. Holy Spirit, we pray that you'd move in our midst. You'd prepare each of our hearts to hear what you have to say to us. The clutter and the distractions that would so easily keep us from being focused on you. God, would you please take those away from us so that we can hear what you have to say through the power of your word. We submit ourselves to you, God, grateful that you speak. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. I release the children through grade four, and in a while, I encourage you to open up your copy of God's word to Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5, which is what we just watched portrayed on the screens, and um, so I'm real excited to open this passage for you today as we continue in our study of the book of Mark, this gospel that's so amazing, that's showing the movement of the kingdom of God and, and how he is growing his kingdom, um, and uh, remember that... Right at the first, Mark says the reason he wrote this is because it's the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, and that Jesus, as he comes on the scene, the first thing he says is, the time has come. The kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is here. And as we've been looking through chapter 2, 3, 4, we continue to see that, that Jesus is revealing the truth of who he is as, as God would have him to reveal himself, and he's also revealing what is the kingdom of God, and what is that, and the truth that the kingdom of God will grow, and the kingdom of God is unstoppable. And uh, I think of uh, last week as we looked at these truths that the lamp will shine and the seed will grow and the storm cannot stop the Savior from going where he's going to build the kingdom in the way that that God has led him and is designing. And so today we pick up our passage and we find out why Jesus was going to the other side. Okay, so last week we we looked at this uh, truth that did, that Jesus came to the disciples and said, "Let's go to the other side," and they were probably clueless as we were until we got to today as to why they were going to the other side. And uh, so uh, today we'll we'll see that, and and we start in, in verse one of chapter five. Went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes and. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet with him. And this man had lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. And so we, we see that, that uh, there's this man that it, it comes up right against Jesus. As we look at this account today, and as Jesus enters into an encounter with this man, what we will see is that we are saved to be sent. All right, we are saved to be sent. And uh, and and I believe this is one of the passages in Scripture where this becomes more clear for us than anywhere else. The big idea for today is this this tongue twister that saved servants spread the news of the king. Saved servants spread the news of the king. And so we're going to see through the life of this man That this is what's true. Now, if we were in England, I would say saved subjects spread the news of the king because we would be more likely to understand what that means. And we understand as we look at this passage today that those of us who are saved immediately come into the kingdom of God. And as we come into the kingdom of God, we're saved, we're rescued, and we become his subjects or his servants for the direction that he has for our lives. The first thing that we see in our text, as I just read, is that the enemy is great. The enemy is great. This this man could not be bound, not even with a chain. Uh, verse 4, for he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day, among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out, and cut himself with stones. So we get the idea and we understand that, that the enemy is great. The first thing we want to see is Jesus has now come to the other side. And what does that mean exactly? And he comes to the region of, of the Gerasenes. And the, the region of the Gerasenes will later, will have a little more clarity to that. That's called the Decapolis. And the Decapolis is a region uh, on the Transjordan, the east side of the Jordan River. And it's the area, Decapolis, it's called that because there were 10 key cities, okay? There were other cities there, but they there were 10 key cities. And so if we look at this map, uh, this is Israel. I should do it on this side because you can can you see this map here? Yeah? How about Doris? You got it? Okay. All right. Doris can see it. We're good. All right. So we've got this is this is Israel here. And then this is the Trans Jordan on this on the right side. And so here's the Sea of Galilee. No. Yep, there it is. Okay, thanks. All right, here's the Dead Sea. Okay, we're good. All right, you got hearing aids, glasses falling apart. Here we go. Okay, so here's the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus was on this side in the Galilee, the region of Galilee is where Jesus would spend most of his time in ministry, but he went across. And this is is pretty much the farthest he went outside. And as we look at it, this is the area of the Decapolis, okay? The colors here are something else I'll talk about in a minute, but this is the area of Decapolis here, the 10 cities. And so Jesus went to that area. Now, why was it so significant that Jesus wanted to go across the lake. Why did he want to go across? And I think the map here and the colors give us a, a sign for that. You see, this is the this is the Israel allowance um, by tribe after they came out of Egypt. You'll remember they came out of Egypt and were rescued out of Egypt, and they were brought to take possession of the land, the promised land, the land that God had promised to Israel. And they got there, got scared, went away, came back, and under Joshua, they went in and took possession of the land that God had promised and has promised to his people. Okay? If you follow the news, you know that there's a a group of people who who have given Jerusalem... And taken Jerusalem away from the Israelites. Okay, God gave Jerusalem to the Israelites. It's theirs. Okay, so, you know, a government agency can say it doesn't belong to them anymore, but guess what? All right, and so this is their land. And um, and so as they came in, and they were ready to cross the Jordan and go in and take possession of the land that God had promised, half the tribe of Manasseh, Gad and Reuben, okay, so half the tribe of Manasseh, Gad, the purple, and Reuben, the brown. Okay, they came to Joshua and they said, this land is really good, this, this land on this side, looks like it would be great for our flocks, could we settle here? God allowed that to happen, and so this land was then given to those tribes. However, it was given with a condition that they would go in and help their brothers and the other tribes take possession of the land that God had promised to them. So they settled here. They built pens, and they they left their wives and their children there, and all the men... Went and, and did battle and, and claimed the land that God had promised, as He said. And so they went in and they, they captured that land. And after all the land had been captured to the point that, that God was ready to release them, they went back home. And as they went back home, they stopped right right across the river. They stopped and they put up an altar. And they built a huge altar. And, and Joshua 22 tells us that, that they built this altar the first thing when they got back. And all the, all the tribes on this side got extremely upset that they had built that altar. Because they're like, you, are, you have built this altar and you're going to do sacrifices there instead of coming and doing sacrifices on the altar that stands in front of the tabernacle. And so they went to do battle and to kill these people because they had fallen away from the grace of the Lord in their mind. And the people of Manasseh and Gad and Reuben got hold of it and they said, whoa, wait, hold it, time out, stop, no, no, you have misunderstood You you have misunderstood. This altar has not been built so that we can do sacrifices on it. No, not at all. Verse 27 of Joshua 22. On the contrary, it is to be a witness between us and you and the generations that follow that we will worship the Lord at his sanctuary with our burnt offerings, sacrifices, and fellowship offerings. Then in the future... Your descendants will not be able to say to ours, you have no no share in the Lord. See, they built an tab- altar right here to make sure that it was absolutely clear to all the future descendants that we worship the Lord in the way that he has prescribed. We do not worship the Lord in a different way. Now, as time goes on, you understand and know. One generation, if we don't proclaim this to the next, the next is bound to forget. And so this was thousands of years before. So at the time of Christ, this land was not, it did not belong to Israel at that point in time. Now, under the kings, when the divided kingdom, all of this land was Israel and this land was Judah. So Israel was in this land. Okay, so what? What does that have to do with what we're talking about today? Nothing, I just wanted to impress you. It's key because here, this is land that had been given to the Jewish people. And it remains given to the Jewish people. And it will have a fulfillment in the future, that land and even more. And you'll remember that Jesus came to establish his kingdom and to grow his kingdom. And so he went across to the other side to this place that had been promised to the, Israel, to the Israelites, to the half-tribe of Manasseh, Gad, and Reuben, he went across to proclaim the truth that the kingdom had come. So they get to the other side. They've, they've gotten to the other side. Even though the storm came and tried to stop them from going, he got there ready to proclaim because the lamp will shine and the seed will grow. And as soon as he lands, up comes this man filled with demons. Comes right up to him. As soon as he gets off the boat and begins to stand there in defiance of him. Now this man is amazing because he's been, he's been tormented you know, the description here and, and the visual that we saw doesn't do it justice because the parallel passage in Luke tells us that, that this man didn't wear clothes. He was so tormented, he didn't even he didn't wear clothes. He lived among the tombs. He lived in the in the place, in the graveyard. He, li- he lived in the graves and, and just was around there. He was filthy and he was tormented. He cut himself. He was in so much pain and so much torment. The demons that that plagued him constantly harassing him, And the townspeople saw this man who was so harassed and and so plagued by these demons that were constantly tormenting him that they decided the best course of action was to put chains on him and bind him. How many times do we do that? How many times do we do that? Do you ever encounter someone who's just in a severe place of torment. There's a study we looked at this last weekend as I was with some guys that said probably half the people that are sitting here right now are in a place of some sort of hurt or pain. So if you're not, look at the person. No. But you understand that that the demons these impure spirits, have been given great power. And what exactly is a demon, perhaps you don't know. You you understand and know that God created angels, and, and there's myriads of angels, hundreds of thousands, thousands upon thousands of angels God has created. And at a point in time, Satan rebelled against God and took a third of those angels with him. Those are the impure spirits. Those are the fallen spirits. Those are the demons. And their role is to serve Satan in plaguing our world, in tormenting the, the crown of God's creation, us, made in the image of God. And they, they harass, they torment, they torture, they possess those who don't know God. They, they bring into them great pain and turmoil it's their role, it's, they, they cause us to feel anguish and, and hatred and bitterness and unforgiveness and all of these things just tormenting us constantly and, and, and berating us. And so how many times have you stepped into a situation where there's a relationship with someone that's been severed and, and you immediately look at that person and you begin thinking all these terrible things about them and, and and you know, Scripture tells us that Satan is constantly before the throne accusing the brethren, and that Jesus is at the throne interceding for the brethren. And so, how many times are we tempted to step in and, and accuse people rather than intercede for them? And listen, if there's someone you know who's in extreme turmoil or torment or those kinds of things, don't add those chains. Go to them and let them know the forgiveness that God has available for them. Extend that forgiveness through yourself because the enemy is great and the enemy loves to torment and the enemy loves to lie and the enemy loves to place people in bondage. And listen, apart from Jesus, that's our only hope. Apart from Jesus, our only hope is bondage. Our only hope is the torment of Satan and his demons. In what ways have I avoided or downplayed the power of the enemy? In what ways, when I've seen somebody tormented, have I said, ooh, yeah, uh, can't handle that, you go off to the graves? Or in what ways have I just downplayed it and said, no, nah, this isn't really a spiritual battle? The next thing we see in our text is that Jesus is greater. Amen, amen. I mean, because the enemy is great. The enemy is great, and we've seen that. We've seen that the As we look at Jesus on earth and the enemy keeps coming against him and coming against him and coming against him, he's great, but Jesus is greater. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. Verse seven, shouted at the top of his voice, what do you want with me? Jesus, son of the most high God, in God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, come out of this man, you impure spirit. So we get an idea and a glimpse here of just what power Jesus has all right, these impure spirits, and we'll find out soon that there are many of them, these impure spirits understand and know exactly what's happening. They know that Jesus has stepped foot in their, in their region. They know, and they know who Jesus is. Remember, in the boat, the, when Jesus calmed the storm, the disciples were terrified and said to each other, Who is this? Who is this? And a little while later he steps off the boat and the demons answer the question of who is this because the demons know who this is. Remember, they're angels. They were in heaven. They saw the Son of God on the throne. They know who Jesus is. They understand who God Almighty is. They know him. And so when they see him, they recognize him and they say, they say and they call out to him, what do you want with me? Jesus, Son of Most High God, Yeshua ben El Elyon, what do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God El Elyon? The first time we see that is in is in Genesis chapter fourteen when Melchizedek comes. And he is the priest of the most high God, most high God. What this is, is it's the extreme sovereignty and majesty of God. This is the highest preeminence. This is like the highest and most exalted name of God. So we have these demons coming forth and recognizing that Jesus is God. He's the son of God. He is God. He is the most high God. He deserves the absolute preeminence. He deserves the absolute majesty. They recognize and know this. And they come to him and it says that they fell on their knees in front of him. He fell on his knees in front of him. And so this man who's possessed comes and falls on his knees in front of Jesus. If you have King James, that's probably translated as worship. Others of your translations probably have bowed down before him. And so they come and they bow down before him. and, And you're like, wow, the demons are worshiping him. No, don't you believe it, not for a minute. This word, as it's translated, has much more of, of the indication of a dog licking its master's hand. And don't you for a minute think that's what worship is. See, that's a false respect. That's, that's, that's not what worship is. What this is talking about is this is talking about some weaselly little demons, and, and they're, they're just doing whatever they can with their little lion mouths, to manipulate Jesus. wonder how many of these were involved in, in what was going on with him in the desert and constantly berating him and coming and coming up before him, and, and I love the video because it showed him like grabbing the 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 hem of his of his skirt and going, Oh Jesus, you know, oh I'm yeah, I'm down here before you. You are such a great God, you are the Son of God, and and oh man, I just yeah, you know, you little weasels, you don't believe that. And Jesus knows that. What's your name? He asks them. Our name is Legion. Ooh, is that their name or is that who they are or how many there are? See, as soon as it said legion, remember, Mark is written, it's the gospel written to the Roman audience. As soon as he said legion, immediately the Romans reading that would have said, okay, that's five or 6,000 because a legion would have been five or 6,000 at that point in time. So, So as soon as he said legion, it's like, ooh, God, most high, who are you? Oh, there's thousands of us. You know it's almost like is he trying to to intimidate Jesus in some way? Cuz if he is, it's not going to work because 5 or 6,000 demons is like 40 quadrillion short of what you'd need to even grab cuz Jesus is all powerful and the demons have only a small amount of power that that God has even allowed for them to have. There's thousands of us in here he says. It's interesting. In God's name, don't torture me, the demons say. In God's name, don't torture me. That's significant. See, an exorcism is happening here. Jesus will exorcise the demons from this man. And for that to happen, he will adjure the name of God. Adjure, A-D-J-U-R-E. Okay, how many of you used that this last week? In your, yeah, yeah, okay, all right, yeah, all right. Well, next week you can fit it in. Okay, so this, this appealing to the name of God. And that's what an exorcist does. An exorcist said, in the name of Jesus, in the blood of Jesus, in the name of God, I command you to leave. And so Jesus had told him to leave. And these little demons, these little weasels are down there grabbing onto the hem of his skirt and saying, you know, one translation shows this as I warn you in the name of God, don't torture me. Oh, these little weasels. I warn you, Jesus, in the name of God, don't torture me. That's ridiculous. These, These demons live to torture people. And the one thing they want is not to be tortured. Our battle is not against flesh and blood, people. We don't talk about this a lot, but there's a demonic world that is trying to trap you. And that demonic world is real. And they are weasels, and they will tell you things and get you to believe things. They will get you to, they will get you to be, to, it is unbelievable what that is. It gets you to hate people. It gets you to gossip about people. It gets, you to, it gets you to not forgive people. It gets you to be bitter about people. It gets you to, to be greedy. It gets All of these things. Now, it's in me anyway. My sin nature longs for that thing, but the demonic world is just in there constantly trying to pull us in different directions. Now, listen, if you've been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, they have a whole different tug on you, but they're there nonetheless. But Jesus is greater. Jesus is greater than that. And he demonstrates what you do here. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission. (laughs) See, they don't go anywhere without his permission. They don't go anywhere without Jesus giving permission because he's greater. They're begging him, don't send us out of the region. Luke will say, Don't send us into the abyss. You know, I, I imagine this conversation was lengthy as they're just constantly saying, No, 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 no. And they don't want to go to the abyss, the place that's prepared for them. Matthew says, before our time. Okay, so they're 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 just working on Jesus and saying, Don't send us to the abyss before the right time. Let us don't send us out of the region. Don't, don't and how about those pigs over there? Could you send us there? And Jesus gives them permission to go into the pigs. Why did they want to go into the pigs? I don't know. I mean, I have some thoughts. I think they weren't quite done torturing the people of this area. They wanted to torture the people of this area some more. It seems like demons love to be indwelling, and if they can't indwell people, they'll indwell animals. And so they they go into this herd of pigs, and this herd of pigs runs together and runs off the cliff. And see, herds don't, or pigs don't herd like that but they do when they're controlled by demons. And listen, Jesus didn't kill these pigs. The demons did. The demons drove them to run off the cliff and drown. Jesus is more powerful. So how does knowing the overwhelming power and mercy of Jesus impact the way I live? How do I claim that authority and that power and that might that Jesus has? How do I take that in my life to stand up against these demons? Because listen, saved servants spread the news of the king. The final thing we see is that an encounter demands a response. An encounter with Jesus demands a response and and don't miss that in Scripture. Every single person who has an encounter with Jesus, it demands a response and it's the same for you, same for me. Every encounter we have with Jesus, it demands a response. So how will you respond to Jesus? This passage shows us how, how these people responded. Those tending the pigs ran off. And I would imagine if you were if you were tending a, a herd of 2,000 pigs and all of a sudden they just all ran together and ran off the hill, you, you, would, ran, you would run off. I mean, I, I think I would. So they ran off and they told the people in the town and in the countryside, they told everybody what, what had happened and the people went out to see what happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legions of demons sitting there dressed in his right mind and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and about the pigs as well, and the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. So here's the deal. This man's running all over the place, drooling around, cutting himself, screaming in the middle of the night in deep pain and in deep torment because of the demons. He's, he's running around naked, he's just all over the place. You know, and, and then townspeople know this because they've chained him up, they know who he is, they know he's been plagued, they know what's going on, and they hear that something major has happened. There's a guy who came on a boat and, and he confronted this guy and, and the next thing you know, 2,000 pigs jumped off the cliff and, and you gotta come and see it. So they come and here's the guy. And he's sitting talking to Jesus, wearing a suit. (laughs) Because that's what you wear when you talk to Jesus. (laughs) He's dressed. See, he got dressed. And he was in his right mind. Now, that's significant. He was in his right mind. Remember Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2? Don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. See, as soon as those... It's much nicer to sit. As soon as those demons left him, as soon as the torment left his body, He was able to get together with Jesus in his right mind. Have you experienced that in your life? Have you come to this place in your life where you realize the torment of sin? The things that that you choose in your life that that are opposed to God's good for you? And you realize all the torment that that brings into your life. Have you come to a point where you realize that sin has separated you from him and you've turned to him and you said, Jesus, forgive me. And and your chains are gone and you're set free. And you're able to see Jesus in your right mind and sit and talk and experience his truth with ears that will hear. And the people saw that and they were like, man, that's what we want. No. They were afraid. They, it's not the verse, but they were afraid. And as you look at that to realize, it's the same as the disciples. When they saw the storm calm, they were terrified. When the people saw the man calmed, they were afraid. See, people who are on the outside looking in don't understand what God is up to in the person of Jesus as he's walking on the earth. And they're afraid. And they begin to plead with Jesus, get out of here. We need you to leave. We don't know what's going on, but the weird that we had before, we were used to. This new weird we're not interested in. How many times have you come to a place where you've had an encounter with Jesus that would allow you to walk away differently, but you've been scared and you've just pleaded with him to leave? Next couple of verses are going to show us the key to this passage. And save servants, spread the news of the king. This man, in his right mind, comes up to Jesus as Jesus is looking to leave. And the man who had been demon-possessed, verse 18, begged to go with him, but Jesus did not let him and said, go to your hometown and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So here's this man, he's been set free and he's like, man, I want to go with you, Jesus. Can I go with you, Jesus? Jesus, could I go with you? Because these people here, they don't want anything to do with you. And, and I would love to go with you. Could I go with you? And Jesus said, no. It's like, wait, hold it. No, 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 no. We've been reading the Gospel of Mark together, right? And Jesus is all about come be with me. Come be with me, come be with me, follow me, be with me, be with me, be with me. And so a guy comes up and says, Jesus, can I be with you? And he says, no. And it's like, what? But we see why. He says, go. Go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you. And you're like, wait a minute. We've been reading the Gospel of Mark. And and Jesus is saying, don't go tell, don't go tell, don't go tell, don't go tell. And now this guy, he says, go tell. What's going on here? He's on the other side. Remember, they crossed the lake and went to the other side. They're in the Decapolis. They're in in an area that's largely populated by Gentiles. We know that because a Jewish region would not have a herd of 2,000 pigs. (laughs) Right? Right? So they're in a Gentile region here. And the Jewish region, the messianic secret is holding tight, all right, because there's a misconception of what, what Jesus has come in his first advent to do. And so there's this secret that's being held there, because Jesus wants to reveal the truth of who he is as the son of man. And so, but on the other side, where he went to see the kingdom grow, because the lamp will shine, the seed will grow, as he went over there, he's ready to let the seed be spread. And he's using the man who was saved to do that. The man who was set free from the demons that tormented him. In a way, this is the first missionary to the Gentiles. Go to your own people and tell them. Tell them all the things that God has done and how he's had mercy on you. So listen, this is who we are. We're not the ones that Jesus is saying not to tell. We're the ones Jesus is saying to go tell. Know me and make me known. So the man went away and began to tell the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. The man begged to go. That word begged, the original word is perikaleo, okay? And perikaleo, as you look at that word, it's it's, it's translated in different ways in your copy of God's word. But it's four times in this passage that we looked at today. The demons begged Jesus again and again and again. Don't send us from the region. Then they begged him to let him go in the pigs. And then the people pleaded with him to leave. And then the man begged to go along with Jesus. That word perikaleo can be translated as invite, invoke, beseech, Pray. Pray. It's like he was praying to Jesus, Jesus, can I come with you? I think of Paul in prison saying, I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it's more necessary for you that I remain. See, that huge truth that I have been saved to be sent, I have been saved to be an ambassador, I have been saved to be a servant of the king. And this man caught this. He caught it in such a huge way that he went out and he proclaimed it. That word is preach. He preached it. He proclaimed it in, in all of the region of Decapolis and all the people were amazed by what Jesus had done for this man. Are people amazed by what Jesus has done for you? Are you amazed by what Jesus has done for you? I mean, he has had mercy on you. He has taken this torment, and don't think that, don't think that the torment on you is, was any worse than it was on them. The torment has been taken away. You have been set free. The chains are gone. We sang about it this morning. Some of us saying, my chains are gone, and some of us saying, my chains are gone. Okay, and that's the difference between the people who understand that they are saved to be sent. And those who believe, something different. What is it that you're praying for? So many times I can find myself praying for some temporary help. I want, I want Jesus to do this and this and this and this and this. And Jesus is saying, no, I need you to be the light where I've left you. I need you to go and to Tell. I need you to let people know how much Jesus has done for you. Listen, one man, one man amazed all the people of an entire region. What could we do? What could we do in our region? What what could we, as we join with the other churches in our area, Lakeland, Mount Zion, East Elevan, all these other churches that are proclaiming, what if we really got a hold of this fact that we are saved to be sent because saved servants spread the news of the king? Could we amaze the people of this region? The answer to that is yes. God, thank you. Thank you for the example of this man Lord, I can't imagine what it would be like to immediately, after being released, being able to sit with you in his right mind and hear the truths that you have to say, so much so that he didn't even want to leave you, but understanding and knowing that you had saved him so he could proclaim your truth. Help us catch that, God. Forgive us for our complacency. Help us to catch hold of that. Help us to continually be amazed by your grace and by your mercy. We sing it, but does it come from the depth of our heart? Overwhelm us because of your glory and for your grace. We pray this in your name. Amen.